0: take it from the top. Take one. This is Within. Shifting the conversation on who is in prison.
1: Recording from the vault in the Denver complex of
2: the Colorado Department of Corrections. I'm Denise Presson, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility.
0: I'm Andrew Draper, resident at Sterling Correctional Facility.
1: I'm Ashley Hamilton, the founder and director of the DU Prison Arts Initiative.
0: Here at Within, as we work to shift the conversation on who is in prison, we've asked our guests and our hosts to freely share their perspective. The opinions expressed in this podcast are strictly those of the person who gave them.
1: I've been teaching and creating art in prison for the last 10 years, and I founded the DU Prison Arts Initiative two years ago and now act as the director. We call it D.U.P.I. for short. D.U.P.I. is a program that brings arts-based educational and therapeutic programming and projects into prisons around the state of Colorado. We're now in 10 prisons in the state and growing. And we also work on special projects like this, within. We have full-length productions, we help to run a statewide DOC newspaper, and we run all kinds of workshops around the state. I have gotten to see, over the last 10 years, day in and day out, this work on the ground and how powerful and transformative it can be. Denise and Draper, I'm curious, what do you think about this whole arts in prison thing?
2: Um I personally speaking I haven't had a whole lot of experience with like professional art in the past you know love music love you know art I watch TV I mean but this has taken me to a different experience a different level of really what art is it gets to uh feelings that I've never really dealt with through expressing those just being part of this podcast it's uh, it definitely is stirring things inside my um soul
0: Um I love art you know I've been an artist you know forever you know I started <laughs> with graffiti, you know, when I was a kid, just, you know, writing stuff on walls and drawing stuff on walls and paper. And it's healing. It helps It helps a person heal, you know, wherever. So I think, you know, by you bringing it into prisons really heals people and it helps people. Thank you.
1: Today's really special because we get to talk to Terry Mosley Jr., who's a resident at Sterling Correctional Facility where he's serving life without parole plus 55 years. He's a DU Pi group leader and an upholstery team leader for Colorado Correctional Industries and the liaison for our podcast's newsletter, Reverberations from Within. Check out our website. He has completed the course, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in high school, he was a peer mentor for all four years. Today, we're going to explore what it means to be an artist in prison. Let's go. Welcome, Terry.
0: Thank you. This is a question that I have for you. Uh, not to take over, Ashley. I'm sorry. But I'm curious to know, you know, for our listeners out there, um, what was your mental state coming into prison? You know, where where mentally, before you came to know Dr. Hamilton and before you came to know the arts, where were you?
3: Um, I was in... I would have to say, in a position of um, not wanting to believe, it was almost fantasy. Like I didn't want to believe this was really happening. Like I didn't, um, I didn't want it to absorb anything. I didn't know how serious this would be. Like how it can be worse than death, or it can be worse than you know uh, losing a loved one. You know what I mean? I didn't think that that was possible. So it was like a fantasy.
1: And you you came in when you were 18? Yes.
2: Life without parole, 55 years. Can you, so I'm going to walk the people through it. So it's the day of sentencing. You've spent two and a half years in jail, Mm -hmm. right? You're 18. Right. And then you know you're going to go get sentenced because you've gone through your trial or did you take a plea bargain? It was
3: my second trial because the first one was a mistrial.
2: Okay. So you're still waiting. You're like, I don't even know what's going to happen with my life. So it's the day of sentencing and you know more than likely you're gonna receive a huge sentence, right? Correct, yeah. Paint the picture of your eighteen year old self standing there. Were were you in shackles? Were you go ahead, just explain the paint me a picture of what that looked like.
3: Um it looked like I was dressed up. You know, like I was dressed up to perform a a a role that like um you every you know, a person that's ever been to prison or been to trial, you, you know, you get dressed up to sit there and go through literally like a a procedure, uh, you know, a routine, you know, right. it seems like it's, you know, you can totally tell it's uh, robotic almost and you're just, you're there and I think it's because they, they need you to be there. <laughs> I mean, I guess to record it or put it down in the history that he was there. But honestly, it felt like um everything could have happened without me there.
2: Was there anybody in the audience there with you?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um my beautiful stepmom Tony and um uh, a friend of mine named uh, Kelly. Yeah, they were um they were like um two people, you know, um two people standing against um literally like a crowd of of people that couldn't see me. It was like I can look back and I can see only two people that can actually really see me. And it was so brave of them, you know, but I think the biggest part about it is it's like realizing that this is what you put them through. The people that actually see you and know you.
1: You received the sentence. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised? Were you expecting that? What was sort of your...
3: Um, yeah. Uh <laughs> when you're in the the county jail, I mean you you definitely go through a lot of um people that uh pretend or think they know the law and they do you do get opportunities to go to the law library and research things and but I mean 18 years old I wasn't I I didn't care about research or anything. I I I didn't know no better. I mean I can barely use a computer now, but I just, um, didn't care about it.
1: When I think about you and your journey that I've watched you over the past year or so, um, I've watched an internal battle, I think, in you of not caring and coming to care. And I think that I've watched the push pull of your internal world of, um, The parts of you that do care and do want to care, and then the part, what it seems to me, the part of you that's been in survival mode, and your survival tactic has been to not care.
3: Absolutely. Does that, yeah. Absolutely. Um, It goes back to sentencing. It goes back to um, hearing um, something that I'll never forget, which is, I'll never forgive you until you understand the complexity of what you took from us, and you know god so when when someone says something like that especially from that position you know and and if it means something i always took it like um that um that, that there's something still left in me that my all my friends and family um love so it was like it is it was an internal battle because you know you got to think like okay why do people love you you know why do they care about you and um if this is who they say you are. And so they're always like a um your friends and your family become like a, a complexity in your life because you're like, Why do you love me when this is who I am, this is what I did, this is unforgivable. Um and then when when someone places that type of a um especially coming from a mother, you know, places that 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 definition that that conviction of this is how I stand against you,
1: and then we're talking about the mother of your victim,
3: yes, absolutely, okay. yeah, and when she says that, you know, and i I weigh it out and I go, okay, well then that's 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 who I am, and if I feel that I can't reach that point to ever be that, then that's when I start to in my twenties begin to not care that's when I just came here and just. You know, to Sterling and just Kind of couldn't believe this was happening And feeling like I can never reach that goal That, you know, that day from sentencing, Never reach that
0: What goal is that exactly?
3: To actually um, Be able to be Forgiven, to be able To stand up against That criteria, it's the, the It seems to me like the hardest Criteria that you could ever You know, if it's a prerequisite to To live you know then why am i here cuz I, I i don't see the ability to be able to get to that so it was like um it was like having um there's nothing this world can do to you there's nothing that anyone can do to you there's nothing else it's been done I'm, i can't live to that expectation i mean i thought you know playing sports or you know going to college and all these things were were like feasible like these are things you have actually can do, and I mean, and then when that expectation or that prerequisite is what it takes in order to, to heal for, from her perspective is something I couldn't, couldn't measure up against at all.
0: Well, how about now?
3: Wow. Um, now while I can, um, I guess I get to the point now where it's like, um, I think that through prison arts programming and through that interactions that that help me you know deal with this type of stuff is um is the only thing that gives me like hope to be able to do that I mean hope to me like I, I tell some of my closest friends is like something that's not even tangible you know it's something that you can't hold on to it's almost ghostly to me but I see it in everybody around me sometimes it's especially in this past week, more than anything. And it's so solid. It's so, you know, like something you can totally grab and hold on to.
2: You said you couldn't fit that criteria, and you said you didn't care, but I don't you've held the same job for 18 years. Um, that, to me, says you care.
3: Yeah, I, I believe that it shows that, Um, honestly, I think I go back, and I mean, I'm just going to keep it 100, is that it was also my vehicle to not be a burden on my family i am not a um i'm very prideful and emotional and one thing that i i i knew was that i was going to take responsibility right from the jump i i mean even i mean even if you were to have the ability to talk to my counsel um they would tell you that um I chose that word specifically. Um, <laughs> but even if you were to talk to them, they would tell you, like, you know, Terry, that's what he wanted from the jump. I never, you know, wanted to come into this situation like um, like I didn't have responsibility. Uh, I think that that was my first concern. But like I said, it, I didn't think that um, taking that position was going to mean being buried with that decision you know what I mean you're 18 years old you don't really think that this is it like you're you're done you know what I mean you don't I know Um, so so yeah you I, I I took the job at first literally I mean the first things I did when I got there were I knew I had to address anger you know what I mean I knew I had to address um why I was upset, you know, what was wrong, you know, so I took anger management, it was actually my first job when I got there, because I got there in January of 01.
1: You got to Sterling?
3: Yes, I got to Sterling in January of 01, and the first thing I did was sign up for um, anger management and healthy, like a healthy boundaries class, And, um, and I was fortunate because, you know, programs like that, you know, don't exist for guys with life without parole no more, I mean, they really don't, so... Um, That's what I addressed right out the gate because I knew if I didn't do that, I was just going to keep, you know, this cycle of this is who I am and 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 not know why I was angry about it. But um, so the job, the context of having that job was me not wanting to be a burden on my family. I don't want to call them and ask them to send me money. I don't want to call them to, you know, ask to help me out, get some tennis shoes or something like that. So I knew that I had to step up and you know, present myself in a way to where I can get that job. And then once I got to the job, I started realizing, like, how it made me feel. It made me feel like um, I was a part of something, like I was doing something, like something that mattered. Positive words of encouragement, I mean, positive people, I mean, the universe has literally, you know, has positioned me at Sterling around people that I never thought that um, I would ever... Be blessed to have in my life. I mean, just this—the room. I call it the treasures in the, in this vault are, are 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 not monetary. It's it's ridiculous to me because I I'm, I mean I've been fortunate to always be able to see people differently. I I mean I see energy. I see stuff all the time. It's not that it's um it's foreign to me. I can see people, but um. I I always just what it is is I can never really see myself matching up as fitting with those people, making it seem like it's right. You know what I mean? And I don't know if it's just because of um, that criteria that I did believe. You know, I did believe the criteria, but um, um, when the criteria it comes
1: to the that the system and the things that were said about you and.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I believe that the criteria was my, um, I believe that the criteria was my burden. It was my, so to speak, um, cross to bear. So, yeah, um, I didn't believe that I was this terrible person. I mean, like I said in the beginning, when you think about the people and how they love you, right, why do they love you? And it's because they see things that you don't see. Um, even if you love something, like you love prison arts, um, there's a reason why you love it. And um, so you see things differently. So I always try to see why someone loves something. And um, that was always the reason why I knew that I wasn't a terrible person. I wasn't this image that they projected upon me. But... Um, also because I knew what I was holding inside and it was something I thought people couldn't see. And being in, um, the only people that could see it were the people that loved me and actually knew me. But um, being in the prison arts, that's what enabled me to really see what I have done to myself through through um, the system and the labels and the things that... Are pressed upon you in this environment. I saw what I had done, what I have built myself to be, you know, what I was really hiding inside.
1: This past week, um, gosh, I have so much to say. Okay, so um, this past week, Terry left Sterling for the very first time in, wow, eighteen years.
3: Um, I've I've gone for medical trips before, but not like this. This is yeah, yeah, so.
1: yeah. So um, he left to come to the Denver complex, which is where we are recording right now, um, to be a part of this podcast process as a representative for the DU Prison Arts Initiative. Um, and this week has been very powerful for all of us. Absolutely. Um, but um, the very first class that I taught in Sterling Correctional was um, an ensemble theater class. And we had 23 guys. Yeah, about 23. In, yeah, I think. In, the, in the class. And um, it was really like basics, right? So like really foundational theater uh, basics. Um, I say that actually. I dumped a lot of... Uh, I, I shared a lot of... Um, theory with you all too that isn't basic at all and we had some absolutely incredible conversations but i remember terry um i remember you in the very early days of that class
2: uh, you didn't talk
3: no absolutely not
2: (laughs) I really want to know why, why, what made you apply? Was it somebody was like, Hey, apply to this or, cause you know, we got to sign up to get into the classes and stuff. So what, what was it like something universal was like tapping you on the shoulder? Like, Hey, cause you had
1: never, you had no, you hadn't, no arts in your, like you were not, you didn't identify as an artist, right? I mean, no, even yeah. in high school, I frowned yeah. upon
3: it. I was like, yeah. You're a sports guy. You didn't like, want to Nerds. join drama club. <laughs> Nerds. I'm not going to be a nerd. I'm not doing it. I am like the world's biggest nerd. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, that's not me. I had friends that did it in high school and I was like, you know, no. And they're like, but you're a peer counselor. And you're like, I'm like, no, it's not happening.
1: You're an athlete too. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. I was like, no, nah, I'm not, not a very lose. good one. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So I'm walking around the yard. I'm by myself, um, and uh, this this guy comes up to me and he challenges me basically with first with the typical "Hey, how you doing?" and me going, "You sure you want to know?" But I mean, we sat around and walked, and he told me about DU Pi. and um, um, I I was like kind of skeptical, and I was like, "That's not gonna happen. I, I don't. I mean, I'm not gonna do that." And he's like, "Why?" What else have you got to lose? It it's nothing. You just go enjoy it, man. I'm telling you, you you would love it, you'd be great at it, do it. And I was like, well, all right, well I'll just show up. Uh, I mean I mean I asked him if it was religious base and he was like no and I was like <clears throat> and i i was like okay well then that's not good i mean that's I thought, different
2: well, isn't it <laughs>
3: well yeah it's I a mean, different thing yeah well because i mean that's what we're used to you know what i mean something that that ties into faith so i'm like i'm thinking well then why would you ask me cuz if it doesn't have to do with god then why do you think that i would care you know what i mean but
1: cuz you are you you do have a religious or a spiritual uh, practice or it,
3: Honestly, it's evolved. I mean, it's definitely evolved. Um, But, yeah, it's uh, my—I'm thinking that this person is asking me to join because he's thinking that I, you know, that I would enjoy the spiritual part and all that. You know, I didn't think that this was really going to be about theater and and therapeutic, you know, things. I never saw any of that. I Mm -hmm. just thought, oh, we're going to go in there and role play and act. You know what I mean? (laughs) So— And so I didn't, I just didn't hold any really weight in it, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing wrong with signing up for something and then seeing something and then in prison, guess what? It's okay to quit. You know, Draper, you know that is, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're all right. So.
1: So then walk us through. So day one, um, you walk in, there's 23 guys in the room and me. Wow.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I was like, uh, I was like, what the heck is this? Because I had no idea of who was running the class or any of that. It was just, you know, I didn't know anything. So when I see all these guys, you know, and they're moving around, I'm like, okay, it's typical. You know, it's looking like an AA meeting or something.
1: And <laughs> Context, then, I make everyone yeah. sit in a circle all <laughs> right, the time.
3: <laughs> right. But, I mean, everyone's just kind of just sitting around. And then I see Dr. Hamilton and I'm like, the heck is this lady doing in there for her? You know, like, who's this? And she just has this energy and I'm like, this is not happening right now. I knew I was like I was like, this is not good. And I <laughs> I I literally was like like I started to panic, you know what I mean? I, I start to but Wait, I try why? not to show it. Because it's foreign. This is mm-hmm. not this mm-hmm. is just, you're like you're out of Place you're supposed to be somewhere like pollinating daisies or something, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, just you're not supposed to be in here with a bunch of dudes that don't care, you know what I mean. <laughs> What's I'm saying? They really don't give up, bleep about us, uh, <laughs> absolutely. So, I was like, Look at this stranger, you know, it was alien to me, and um, immediately you just start talking and asking everyone to form up and, and and getting the circle and I'm like oh circles circles what the circle mean and i start going into this thing like in my mind and now I could see every face and i'm like oh that's what it means that's what it means now, like a circle is important because you could see all yeah the you can see everyone you can see everything <laughs> so like wow I can't even like i literally want you can't even kinda, look
1: you're like Oh, he's crawling out of his skin. I remember. I yeah. remember you were so uncomfortable with being seen right. and seeing people. Right. Even you know,
3: standing act on neutral, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly thinking like, am am, am I standing you know, peculiar to or, or or too offensive or too unrelaxed? Do I look like I'm okay? Am I okay? <laughs> you know, there's things that I'm noticing mm-hmm. about myself, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah, I. The first class right out the gate was a class of of complete understanding that this was real, that this was different, and um, there's no table to hide behind. You know, I love to sit down, and we could sit down at a table, hide behind the table, right? In this, you're you're standing in a circle <laughs> of of guys that literally you would never even want to talk to, especially in this environment. So. Um, that was, a, that was the beginning, and and then I knew right then and there that that was when I didn't want, like, I had this big, huge part of me that didn't want to come back. But there was something inside of me that was, like, literally pulling at me inside, like, trying to get me to, to stay here, to, to come back. And I didn't know what it was. I eventually found that out later. I don't know if it's just me, and I, and I don't think it is. I think uh, everyone processes things differently, obviously. But um, all I know is that I couldn't understand week after week after week why I could not do image theater. Um, I could not uh, do a stretch and share. Or, or I, I felt like I could not do what I saw. What are these things? Can you
0: describe? What is a stretch and share? These are are
1: all little different um, activities and warm-ups that we do. We do ritually um, every week to get us into the space. But what's happening in them, I mean, from a sort of uh, meta level or theoretical level, right, is that I'm asking folks to get into their bodies, um, which I have a theory that in prison, uh, and this is different from men's prisons versus women's prisons, even though I don't like to necessarily generalize, I tend to see major differences that, um, asking folks who are incarcerated to drop into their body is a pretty radical thing because you are experiencing, um, your bodies are in sort of an ongoing state of trauma. So asking you to drop into your body and to be in your body is a huge ask. And so we do these different rituals every week, uh, where we stretch, where we check in using our voices, our voices in our body, where we, um, uh, we, we, there's a practice called image theater, which comes out of theater of the oppressed, uh, Augusto Boel, um, that I use to get people in their bodies. But then also we use, I use all these different various activities to, um, create ensemble and community. So um Especially in the early days of the class, I was really working very hard to build community in the class, and so I was using a lot of these activities
3: that's her version that's her <laughs> version of what it is so coming from the person that endured it <laughs> um, I would say that is it is absolutely um coming into your body. I'll explain that um getting you know that definitely that definitely does happen but um what what it happens is like you, you go around in the circle and you stretch and share something, whether it's uh, what's your high or low or how do you feeling. it. And um, I mean, you're, you're stretching. And most guys, you know, in prison, you know, we're stretching with upper body stretches. So we're running out of things to do here. You know what I mean? Now we're talking about bending over stretches and everything else. And it's like, uh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know? And, but these are, this is, the crazy thing that is it's funny to me but at the time when I'm watching it is I'm realizing that every stretch is literally like a manifestation of that person's of what they're thinking what mm. how they're feeling so if they go to stretch their leg out it maybe it's because they just want to you know uh, experience that part of their body they want to you know uh, maybe they're sore you know or something like that but it, it 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 manifests it transformed every week i mean it it even now it 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 transforms and then the voice and the fluctuation in the voice of what they're stretching about or what they're sharing it changes from day one at first it's like oh well i'm feeling all right to man i'm feeling all right you know you can see the difference you can feel the difference the energy changes and so um and there's laughter that comes later that is genuine and authentic and so, for me, this is where the, um, the the reflection comes in that space. When you drop into it, I'm wondering why, again, I don't fit. Why can't I do this? Why am I doing it knowing that I'm only saying that? Because that's the only thing I feel comfortable saying. Like, when I stretched and shared, I stretched with something that I felt comfortable saying because of who was in there. I didn't do it authentically until I actually had that moment of, 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 of security to do that. And, um, which brings me to that most impactful thing, that big moment for me was, um, it was probably about, i want to say six. It, it was, um, how many, how many courts? it was like eight, the first, first, uh.
1: How many weeks was the first yeah. class? Uh, I think it was more like 15. Was it 15? Yeah. Right.
3: Well. It was summer I think around six six to eight, but all I remember was that um you know, Doctor Hamilton's uh we did the stretch and share, we did the um um the high and low for the week and um we do this, you know, now we're gonna, you know, get into like close your eyes and and think and you start with you know, examining the top of your head and then your eyes and go all the way down the body and um
1: we do
3: this every week. Every week, every, yeah. every week, and um, wow, um, I was going through this, and 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 in the process of that, I started to have memories, like like I started to see myself, like that, you know, Terry, that little, that kid, you know, the one that didn't care about none of this. He didn't care about what you know, uh, if he, if he looked funny when he stretched and shared, he was like anxious, like he wouldn't even wait his turn, you know? And, um, that I saw, you know what I mean? And it was like, how come I didn't, you know, how come I, I couldn't see this person before, you know? And so, um, then, you know, sitting there realizing it, the biggest thing that hit me was, is that, um, That the reason why I probably can't live to that criteria, the reason why I can't, you know, I'm starting to believe that I can't make it to that surface is because um, I won't let him out. You know, I won't let Terry out because, you know, when they, during sentencing, he didn't get convicted. I put him away. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And that's the prison that I built. I built this, like, Frankenstein of, like, things that are not really me. They're just things that I put on to protect him and honestly that moment I started crying with my eyes closed doing this this body scan thing and um, and if I mean honestly I mean that was a moment that I literally began to have the courage to let him out you know and that's why I say that I learned that you know what I mean and it was like I have this is who I am, you know, be him, let him have fun, let him play, let him experience life, you know what I mean, and I totally, totally just bombed and shut him down and would not let him experience any of this, no matter what I did, no matter what choices I made, it was all about protecting him, once I realized that that's the only thing innocent about me, you know what I mean, it's the only thing innocent about me, and and the only reason why I was able to see him is because that's what my mom loves. That's what my, my sister loves. That's what my goddaughters love. That's who they see, no matter where I'm at. And that's the most powerful experience that I ever had with the UPA. And every day, I mean, I, I feel like there might be more. So I worry because I, this process is not easy. So that's why I do it. That's why I feel so strongly about it. That's why I, I I I signed up to be a group leader. That's why I'm here today. Even though I tried to run on Tuesday, <laughs> and but we're in a vault and you can't open the door.
1: <laughs> a so, vault in a prison.
3: <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah. So you you know that's it. You know she gave me the courage to let him out, and that's why I'm
1: I'm here now. If you don't see this yet, I'll hold this truth for you till you're ready to see it. That your choice to let young Terry out, playful, silly, full of life, Terry, full of life, Terry, who is living life in prison, your choice to let him out is reverberating. Mm. And I don't know if you see that, but I do. People don't know what a group leader is, so I want to explain. So in my program... In every facility we're in, we hold we have a handful of positions, usually three to five, for group leaders. These are folks who um, become leaders of the program in the facility, and they help me to make decisions in the facility. They help um, steer the program with me so that it can feel co-intentional because I don't live in prison. I come in, or my facilitators or my staff comes in for a certain period of time and and teaches um, and leads experiences, but we don't live there. You do, so it's a co- intentional model, right? So that we can be making decisions together. And um, I would say in addition to that, our group leaders also end up being role models for the rest of the group about what we stand for in our program, right? And Terry, when you applied to be a group leader um, at the end of our first class, yeah. I knew... I knew you had to be one because you represent so many of the folks that I work with inside who have buried their aliveness. They've buried their aliveness. And of course they have. If you, if anyone who's ever stepped inside of a prison, I mean, that's the whole point is to be the way we've structured prison is to be punished. So they've buried their aliveness and then you made this incredibly brave choice to let your aliveness rise again. And you are mirroring that for other men in the facility and you are mirroring that right now on this podcast. And I hope you know how powerful that is. And if you don't know yet, I think you will.
3: Wow. I don't know what to say about that.
0: Just listening to you and um, absorbing what you're saying, you know, about where you were when you were 18, um, the travels that you took to where you are today. And correct me if I'm wrong, because sometimes I am wrong. <laughs> <Aren't we all? laughs> right? But correct me if I'm wrong, but what I hear is someone who grapples with acceptance mm. of forgiveness. Mm. When the mother of your victim, is willing to forgive you as long as you can understand certain points right right engaging in du pi has given you a chance to accept those points mm. right on a different level to understand the the connect the connection between human beings to understand you know that there is a shared spirit and energy that we all possess and that we all share and hold right throughout all of creation and being able to accept that leads to forgiveness. You have to forgive yourself, right? And that's that's an art. That's not that's not something that that's something that you have to create as well, right? Is a space for you to feel comfortable with you in order to forgive yourself. And then that forgiveness leads to healing. That healing leads to more art, leads to more fun, leads to little Terry coming out to engage with others and to bring others along that path, right? right? Especially where you live. Yeah. Because it's a dark place, mm-hmm. we know that it can get extremely dark. But do you get lightened, lost in the dark, or do you know what? Create your own art. Create, create your own flashlight, and lead yourself.
3: That's that. Um. That's that courage. You know. That's that. That that courage to allow that 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 little Terry or that inner being out. It's like that internal conflict is now with, you know, I just picture this little, you know, little guy just going, no, it's my (laughs) turn. (laughs) It's my turn. I don't care if you don't like it. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, Deal with it. You know what I mean? But this is how we're going to be able to live this life, whether it's anything beyond this place, you know, the only way I'm going to be able to I mean, I have aspirations with the Pi to be to, to to help run this thing, to help give people that motivation to um, to enjoy it. You know that you don't, you can be in prison and still live life. Right, but you have to choose it. You have to have the the courage to want to do it. You have and, to
0: choose life.
3: And sometimes you have to be silly. You have to be embarrassing. You have to be emotional. You have to be authentic and and when that happens it gives people the courage to share it gives people the courage to be silly to say something that normally they would never say but and then still be embraced
1: Denise, I want to hear what you're thinking. I want to hear your perspective on like, what, this whole thing, right? So you're involved with DUPI right now in the capacity of you are co-host of this podcast. podcast. Um fabulous podcast. You also are going to be starting a full-length production process here at DW and hopefully be involved in that. But Yes. Yes, yes. But I'm very... I'm curious about... Like, how do you see this program from your viewpoint as someone who's been in and out of the system and been, you're highly involved in the facility?
2: I am highly involved in the facility. And I think it's, um, it's, you're blowing doors open that have been never even existed. Like you're making the door and then you're kicking it through. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That was good. You know, like you're like, oh, we'll put a door jam right there and then I'm going to kick it down. So my first exposure to DUPI was through the family reunification. And I thought, oh, it's not for me because I have a long sentence. And then Orton Long was in a meeting with me because he's trying to start offender-led com- committees or offender committees within the DWCF. And so I'm also a mental health peer assistant. So I'm the parapro for the dog program. Um, I've been there a while, you know, so I am part of the community. Um, I'm also an AVP facilitator, which is Alternatives to Violence program. Um, I've been in and out of church programs through the New Beginnings Church. So, yeah, I'm involved because I do want to be a positive community member, no matter if I'm inside or outside. That's, like, been my goal right. uh, is how do I live a positive life. So, family unification. And I go to this event. It's the first time I've seen my mother and my daughter for two years because my mm. mother got sick in... Uh, mm. 2017 and I hadn't seen her for two years and so I was like mom you need to come because she hates visiting like the whole process just drives her nuts she's got to get padded in my daughter's got to get padded in you got to fill out paperwork and it's just a, it, it's very and then you sit across from them, you can't touch them you know so this family reunification was offered and I was like they were telling me like some of the girls that had went there was seven that went to the first one <laughs> seven people and uh, they were like,
0: because they didn't understand they
2: didn't understand you have to start somewhere yeah, yeah, it had to start somewhere, and so they told me about it, and I was like, and I went, and there was life there again, and I got to see my family again, mm. and and we had created these pictures, and I I'd, I'd never seen my daughter hold a paintbrush before. Mm. <laughs> mm. And so I thought, whoever Du Pi is, I got to be part of them. Mm. Hell yeah. <laughs> mm. Um. You know, so I saw my daughter paint a picture and I saw my mom paint a picture and, you know, and we ate and I could go and bring her a plate of food. And I hadn't brought my mom a plate of food for, shoot, 11, 12 years, you know. Um, so, yeah, D.U. Pi, it, plus it sounds like a fraternity. And who doesn't want to it be is. part of a fraternity, it you know. <laughs> it
3: absolutely is.
1: I want to just take a moment to tell folks about the story. You recently told me we were talking about tattoos. um, And you said that you, for years, had dreamed of getting a tattoo on your neck of like a, correct me if I'm wrong, like a, a black hole with a monster coming out of it. Absolutely. And that recently you changed that and you still want to have a black hole, but now you want to have... You as a child crawling out. When
3: I pictured
1: that, you
3: know, in the beginning of this, like, this monster, like, tearing my neck open, trying to come out as a tattoo, it's because I feel like I, I this is, this is who they say I am, so embrace it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? This is, embrace it, be that. And and then that's that internal conflict that you saw from day one, Dr. Mm-hmm. Hamilton. That's what you saw. And, and then now it's like. I see the beauty of the fact that my mind has changed to where I now see, you know, this smiling little Terry with a a rat tail that my dad cut off, by the way. But I see, you know, him... Wait up, you had a mullet? No, man, it was a rat tail, you know? It was a little tail that my mom literally used to braid to calm me down, you know what I mean? And, um, And I thought it was just this, like, personal little attachment that i had with my mom i would literally unbraid it just so so she can go back and braid Mm. it and and so yeah he cut it off the son of a gun but um yeah he says you know man we don't have long hair so
1: that's a whole nother conversation yeah but
3: anyways but yeah so that's that um when i realized that i have this now this of this desire to want a tattoo that shows little Terry coming out with this super smile that I have now mm-hmm. on my face right now is, is, is an example of how my mind has changed from wanting something dark to wanting something light. So that when someone says, man, what is that on your neck? And I'll be like, it's me. You know what I mean? That's, that's me, you know, uh, happy to be coming to the surface, happy to be here.
1: We have a resident uh, poem writer in the room with us. We have a, one of our uh, production team members, William Graham. He, um, he's a DUPI group leader for DRDC, which is another prison that um, DUPI works in. He has been in the room with us during this process, and he is a writer, and we're going to talk to him as well. Um, but he, um, often when we're talking, I don't know if you all know this, he writes poems as we're talking.
3: Love that guy
1: Um, Yeah, we love him He's sitting right behind me He just handed me a poem That he wrote while you were talking Can I read it to you?
3: Oh, wow Where's the tissue?
1: (laughs) A poem called Terry A quiet storm An eternal sense of defense Oceans are blue Only if he knew Beauty is seen in color You are not another Expectations are a joke His smile in his eyes. Young at heart. He is wise. I watch shapely. The ocean cries. Like a child upset with the tide. Don't touch me, it says. Message confirmed. I won't. Like art.
0: Next time on Within...
2: Jamelia Nelson, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. I had to survive myself, ultimately. And so I had to survive my own train of thought. I had to survive not knowing my worth, not being confident in myself, what my peers thought about me when I got here, what my family may have thought about me, what his family thought about me. Those, all those thoughts were like demons in my head that I, it, it was hard to rid myself of.
1: Robert Hill, resident at DRDC. It
3: was just... Action, reaction. It was like riding a wave of anger. When you're on a wave, you can't control where you're going, you're out there, till that wave dissipates, or you crash. and crashed a lot.
1: We wanted to include more voices from incarcerated folks across the state of Colorado. So we started a newsletter. It's called Reverberations from Within. If you're interested in reading it or in sending pieces of writing into it, visit our website at thisiswithin.com. If you're incarcerated in the state of Colorado and you want to submit material to our newsletter, please speak to your programs manager in your facility.
0: Within is a collaborative production between the University of Denver Prison Arts Initiative and the Colorado Department of Corrections. Our hosts are Denise Presson, resident of Denver Women's Correctional Facility, Andrew Draper, resident of Sterling Correctional Facility, and executive producer and DU Pi founder and director, Ashley Hamilton. Within is produced by Caroline Sheehan. Associate producers are Michael J. Clifton and Sarah Berry, both of whom are incarcerated. Mr. William S. Graham is our resident poet as well as a resident of the Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center. Media production and creative support by Angel Lopez and Chuck Martinez, both of whom are residents of Sterling Correctional Facility. Our newspaper liaison is Terry Mosley Jr., who is also a resident of Sterling Correctional Facility. Sound engineering and editing by Jonathan Howard.
2: Full episode details, resources, and additional content, including how to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter, Reverberations From Within, is located on our website at thisiswithin.com. Hey, let's go! Up, yeah.